Welcome back to LiveAnimated.com. Let's learn something new. I have a really cool person with me that I've worked with before uh, today as the guest, Christian Nava. What's hey. up, man? What's up, man? Not too much, dude. How you been? Good, good, good. That's awesome. So we're going to be talking with Christian Nava today about what he does as a software engineer. But as you know, the channel is about helping and inspiring people who are looking to get into the games industry or who are already in the games industry, but maybe looking to change their careers. So software engineer, right now you're at Blizzard Entertainment. That's right. awesome. Everybody knows who Blizzard is. So that's, that's awesome. Um, but what do you do? You don't have to go into details about the work that you can't talk about, but what does a software engineer do day to day? Um, so I manage a lot of my uh, technical tasks that need to be implemented for certain parts of the game. Um, uh, I work on Hearthstone specifically. So um, Hearthstone is a live service that uh, requires a lot of ongoing data and, and changes. Um, my usual tasks are like setting up the new events, uh, rewards, um, and then tacking on new things that designers have envisioned for the project's future. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a grab bag of things, honestly. It's never almost never the same thing every day. Um, I have large projects that I kind of tackle away at uh, over the course of weeks, but uh, there's a lot of small things that kind of either are breaking or need to be added in, in terms of data management. And, and so it's a lot, of, a lot of back and forth between me and design about what they want and how I can put it in the game. Oh, nice. So it's mostly implementation of the functionality design is like, ooh, let's do this. So when you said the events, is it like those weekend things that you guys sometimes do where it's like um, when you go to the tavern to play, it might be you can you may have a certain ability or something that's across the board for everybody and you it's like a different yeah, type of so mode or something? That's the tavern brawls. Okay. Um, if you're familiar with Hearthstone, uh, we do set that, that up. My team specifically does that. Um, they don't do the content, like which rules. That There's a tool for that for designers to do that. But we set up the timings and the reward mechanisms so that it kind of triggers at the right time. And you know, the, if it's a kind of a tournament style one, we make sure you everyone gets a free ticket and stuff like that. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. So what I like to do here is I like to go all the way back. And it looks like you've gone all the way back to <laughs> high school. So yeah. did you know you wanted to be an engineer when you were in high school or going to video games at all in high school? So I was really big into games, okay. like a lot of people in the industry were. Um, I didn't know until probably at the end of high school. I think junior year, I was, I was already thinking about college. Um, and I was debating between going in somewhere into computers or physics. Um, and at the time, I was very, very much leaning into physics. Um, I had a really cool physics teacher, and I really enjoyed the classes, and uh, um, I liked the concepts of it. And so I was, I was going in that direction. And then I think um, at the end of my senior year at high school, I had some time at the end because I had like all AP classes. And once they were finished, we're like, oh, you have two months of nothing to do. So I was like, I'm going to try to learn Python. And then um, I, I kind of just took some W3Schools tutorials and I made a little battle sim. It was all text-based and it was just, uh, it was a really fun learning experience to think, hey, I made this little system that can battle, you can battle things with. Like you can't see anything of it, but behind the hood, I was, I was ecstatic to know that there's something functioning there. And that kind of just trickled along. And um, I think that's what kind of, flipped me over and be like, hey, I want to do something with computers. And I went to school and I'm like, I, I took that initial thought of that little combat system. And um, when I joined, uh, I went, when I went to UCI, I realized there was a computer games club. And that's when it just kind of 
snowballed. That's yeah. awesome, man. That's pretty cool. So when you got to university, uh, UCI, what were some of the classes and things that you took to prepare since you kind of had that nice vision of what you wanted to be right out of high school? A lot of people find themselves trying to find out what they want to do. Right. But since you knew at the end of high school, hey, I want to do this, when you got to college, how did you start to structure the classes? Did you structure them towards uh, doing more programming and stuff? Or were you just like, uh, I'm going to do this, but I want to get that college experience? Like, mm -hmm. how did you go about <laughs> figuring out the best courses that make you successful? Um, so initially, I, I didn't really plan anything out to be strictly games. I, I was like, I need to be, I want to be in computers, whether that's software like for banks or for some other kind of like animation or anything like that. Um, I was just kind of focused initially about learning programming because I had done none other than that little Python example. Um, that's all I had done. So I was kind of fresh and I didn't know what was what yet. Um, but UCI was, is a very good um, theoretical uh, programming school. So they teach you a lot of the basics up front. It's kind of rough, but once you get through that first year, you're kind of set. Um, and then beyond that, that's after my first year, that's when I joined the Video Game Developers Club. And they kind of helped me shape uh, which courses to take and which, which ones not to take. Um, Sadly, at the time, UCI didn't really cater to the gaming. Oh, so you side guys didn't community. get like any funding or anything to really um, back you guys up? Not, not, not my first couple of years. But towards the end of my uh, college, they started doing a computer game science major, but it was too late for me. But right. I, I was, I was glad to see like the the school recognizing that we had a very strong indie community and and kind of give students the opportunity to kind of cater more towards it. Um, I specifically chose to do like a C++ class, which we only had one class in the entire uh, college That's crazy because C++, I mean, this 2000, we're looking at yeah. 2009 to 2013. Like, oh, yeah. It's already in its like high, yeah. especially for game development. no one there that taught it? Is no, that what the issue was? or I'm not sure if it was a faculty thing or just interest thing. Because um, I think UCI is very, like I said, theoretical and okay. very business oriented. And C++, while it is very um, efficient, it's not really something that a lot of large kind of applications for businesses rely on. It's usually like C Sharp and .NET and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so they teach more like the web side of like Java, JavaScript, more than like application side. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. When you were in the club, did you guys make anything like uh, indie-wise that you guys played together? Or was it more about just learning process and like figuring out things and just helping each other out to figure out things to grow? Uh, it was it was a very project-based club. Um, so when I joined, um, it was over a summer and it was because they were hosting a game jam. Uh, and like the game jam, like the ones that you hear about, or <laughs> well, just at the school, it was like a kind of enclosed. Yeah, it was enclosed to our little our campus game jam. Oh, okay. um, uh, the one that I did was uh, a week long jam, and that's when I made my very first like full on game. It was like a Metroidvania where you're controlling a beetle and you go into a pyramid and you kill this big Anubis boss. Mm. Um, and to me, that was just like eye opening experience. Like, wow, we made something from start to finish. Every everything from the assets to the music, to the menus, to everything. And it was just, it was, I was floored. I was like, I wanna, I wanna do that again. Um, and so they're like, yeah, come by, join the club. Uh, this was a game jam, but we do quarter long projects and those are 10 weeks. And so it's like, oh, if I could do this, but 10 times bigger, I, I'm in. <laughs> and so that, that really got me in. That's pretty cool, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I have not, when I was in high school, we didn't have stuff like that, even going into college it was a little different because yeah. there was no Maya or Max and stuff like that. But that's pretty cool, man. So right out of school, you went to, I don't know how to say that. 
New Nudisc. I, I think what it's called it? Nudesic. Nudesic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you were there, but you were there while you were in school. Was this right. this was an internship? Um, yeah, it was my. In- it was an internship on my last year of college. Oh, okay. Um, the last. And you actually looked like you got to use C sharp and like. Yeah, C- yeah, yeah. Um, it was at the beginning of my last year of or no, it was yeah, it was the summer before my last year into the, coming into my last year. Um, I just made some assessment tool where mm-hmm. like uh, engineers, because it's a consulting company, okay, and so they have a bunch of engineers who are like rented out to to places to manage mm-hmm. their. Uh, oh, so you would go on site to these places? I or? wouldn't personally, oh, okay, but okay. the 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 actual engineers, not the interns, would go okay, out okay. and do that, right? <laughs> well, sometimes they let you shadow yeah. people and stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, it was a very short program, and I would, I never got to shadow, but I uh-huh. did kind of like write infrastructure tools to kind of manage them, so. It was it was a big learning curve to learn C sharp and the .NET platform and a lot of database is what really I was doing um, to kind of let managers choose like which consultants should go where because of their availability and skills and I mean it was it was a it was a fun little little experience but um, I think that kind of cemented into me that I wanted to do games and not business right um, not going to like the banking side of things yeah, or industrial yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was very um, different like uh, the feeling that I got from accomplishing that project versus even just a week-long project from from games it was it was night and day and I was like I, I know what I really want to do that's awesome that's a great feeling that's pretty cool man um so from there you went to obsidian right but you went to obsidian as QA yeah so was how did that work out? Was that to get your foot in the door? Is that what was available? Or were you like, hey, I just want to do this? Even though you had like what it sounds like a, a ton of experience on programming and understanding programming tools, especially getting into the industry. Uh, and this was it in 2012 as well. So you yeah. did this right before you graduated. Yeah, I, I basically rolled into the that from the other internship into this one. Ah, uh, okay, um, okay. And so it w- I was still in school, and okay. my last year of college was very light. I had to do one class the entire year okay. to graduate. So, so I was you had just, time. Yeah, I had time. That's and so awesome. I was just having a good time, relaxing the last year, and uh, I took a lot of internships at the time. So I was like, okay. Um, and funny enough, they were both in the same building. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and so cool. I man. was working at Udesic when I had my interview for Obsidian. I just went up the elevator. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're that's right around cool. the corner, actually, um, in, in Irvine. Yeah. Yeah. They got. They just got bought by was Microsoft. It Microsoft, right? Yep. Oh man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I was working there when they're doing Stick of Truth. It was a long time ago, right? A long time before the Microsoft acquisition. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. So. Quality assurance. Yeah. You went from quality assurance. You went back to being a lab tutor right before you graduated, or it looks like you did this throughout your whole school yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, I did that until I graduated. It was nice, steady income. It was really oh, easy. you got paid for that. Yeah, I got paid for that actually. Yeah. So how did that work? Did the, the school had it set up, and people would just come to you and be like, "Hey, I want this service," or did they find people for you that were interested? In- no, it was actually like uh, the the school has classes that have accompanying labs. Um, and students are required to sign up for both the class and the lab. Mm. And the labs are run by the TAs um, and also people like me who were like uh, students before who had like done well in the class. And some teachers were like, hey, do you want to come back and help the TA uh, lab tutor this, uh, this lab? And that's what I would do. So I would, I would have maybe two labs out of the week. So two days a week, I would go in for like three hours and just get paid for those three hours. 
Um, so it wasn't like a, an amazing amount of money, but it was it was nice. It was enough to, for being in college. Yeah, or yeah. Getting ready to be out and of all I had to do was walk from my dorm to the yeah. to the campus. So that was good, you know. That's pretty cool. It sounds like you have a really good foundation from where you started with like programming and then doing internships, which is super important. Another thing that I like to do on here is make sure that we can retrospect before we start <laughs> to jump into like more career mode. What are some of the things you would let people know, students or enthusiasts or whoever is looking to get into this? like some of the things that you've experienced or some things that they should keep in mind uh, no matter where they are currently, but they should keep these things in mind in order to do some of the things you've done. Well, I think the first thing is uh, don't be afraid to just go out and do stuff. Um, I think if I hadn't done the game jam or if I hadn't you know, made any of the subsequent games from that club, I wouldn't have learned as much. I wouldn't have learned how to communicate with others to make a project that honestly you can't make games on your own that quickly or you know that uh, of grander status right so it's very important to collaborate and I think uh, just going out there and and doing the things that you need to do like you know learning C sharp or hey you want to learn XNA as a framework or maybe unity is something that you want to start delving into just just go and do it like it's 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 not gonna hurt you right and there's so much stuff online oh my yeah it especially so now easier. oh my goodness uh, back then like unity wasn't free back yeah. then so we had to I was using XNA which was a uh, Microsoft uh, framework it wasn't even an engine it was just a framework for and didn't they get like phased out like it's not used as yeah often. XNA is essentially oh, it is dead um, okay. it was reborn sort of with um, some open source people who are like very passionate about it. Um, but even that is, it's almost out of vogue. Almost nobody uses it anymore. Yeah. Do you remember Game Salad? Game Salad? Yeah, it was like this engine you can make games in. I have never, never. It looked like a it. bowl, but it looks like, uh, it looked like it had the pieces that was the salad looked like, um, Oh man, what's that game? Tetris pieces okay, that okay. were stacked up. You never heard of that? Never no? heard of it. Is no. it like a game maker kind of thing? It's like a game okay, maker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it's like free. Yeah, I mean, there was there was some of those back then. Like Game Maker was there, but it was also like a paid service. So a, a lot of tools now have are have come out, and it's so easy to kind of start. So like, if you're not starting and you want to, just 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 do it. Like I, I have, there's no reservation. It's all free. Like Unreal Engine Four is free now. It's yeah. It's amazing how many free tools are out there. Yeah, it's crazy, and they're and they're keep updating them. So it's like you get all these tools that like the huge companies use right mm -hmm. at your fingertips. So it's. Yeah, crazy. Unreal even like gives out a lot of free assets. Like yeah. uh, one of their failed projects, Paragon. Yeah, Paragon. All those are free now. So animations, can, effects, everything. Everything. It's nuts. Oh god. Yeah, I just saw a um, a GDC talk about how they did their locomotion stuff, which is pretty cool. Nice. And they just lay it all out there for you. It's pretty awesome. So. Now you go back, you're in Amazon. You've already graduated, right? <laughs> yes, at this point I've graduated. You go back to QA. So is this QA the same? Like what part of Amazon are you in at this point? Is this like just Amazon that's like the shipping, the website type stuff? Or is this the games <laughs> This division? is This is Amazon uh, Fire. So it was okay. the, the, the Kindles tablet. and the tablets. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think they had the game division yet, right? At the time, I think they had a small studio internally, okay. um, but that it wasn't branded as a studio yet. They were making Fire TV apps, which were kind of like games. Um, was that like the Chrome stick? The Chrome... Uh, yeah, yeah. Like this, like this right here? Yeah, like it's like the Chromecast. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chromecast, there you go. They, they made a whole like TV system, ecosystem around it too. Ah, so, okay, okay. Um, they were making really small games for that and hmm. as to like test their water, I think. Um, but at the time, um, I was focusing on the App Store where, and the Game Store specifically. They were doing a lot of weird things with their underground store, like giving out free games and giving out coins and stuff like that. Um, 
but I joined as QA just because it's it's was kind of rough getting into it. I was looking for um, game jobs. I didn't I didn't want to go get like a programming job for a bank or some other business thing because I had already done the new desk thing and I was kind of leaning out of it and um so i took this qa job as like a stopgap because i knew it was a contract i could bail basically whenever i needed to um and it, how it did was, you go about looking for jobs for games at um, the time at the time i was just reaching out to anybody who was uh, looking for an associate level either mm, okay. uh, associate engineer associate producer or associate designer i was just kind of throwing my hat in the ring and it was it was like a shotgun kind of kind of approach i basically apply to anywhere and anyone who, who needed an associate level. Um, I focus on the people around here um, or the companies around here, but I wasn't limiting myself to that. I was like going all around the country and applying. Um, typically for associates, they'd like to hire uh, within the region, mm -hmm. so it's a little okay. tougher. Um, but yeah, um, I just took this job because especially coming out of um, QA from Obsidian, uh, it it was a lot easier to just get a QA job because like, oh, hey, you have QA experience. But I'm like, hey, guys, I also went to school to program yeah. and I've made all these games. I can help you code. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and at QA, like I, I made it a thing to kind of try to flex that because even within QA, there's technical QA and like QA engineers who kind of make frameworks to test things not manually. Um, and so I, I ended up making a small tool just for myself because at uh, Amazon you had to like, load a build, you had to you know make sure it ran on a certain uh, device infrastructure. And so I just made a small tool that once I plugged in my Kindle Fire, I could you know there was a drop down for which build I wanted and it installed. Because previously we just had like a big um, network drive of, of APKs that you had to install manually and I was like no I'm not gonna do that um, I, I if you give me you know some time which they gave me a, like two days to build this little tool on on the clock and um, I just made like a little Java applet and that I just shared to my teammates and they're like oh hey this makes our lives a lot easier um, and then Did they, they were, recognize that yeah they, they were actually hey this is pretty cool like um, they were trying to kind of my contract was six months and it was like four months into the contract or something like that. Um, and they were trying to get me to sign on to like a, a like a year long contract, maybe as a, a different title. And but while that was happening, I got contacted by Red Five and I was oh. like, oh, I don't know about this uh, QA thing. I think I'm going to go do non QA where I can do more coding and stuff. Nice. That's pretty cool, though. So but the other thing, though, is that I believe you being in QA, but also having like um, that career-minded focus of what you wanted to do and, and already the skill behind you to do it. QA also prepares you for like more writing, making sure things can be structured better. Were you doing that type of QA as well? Where you yeah. had to document everything and then report and yeah, we speak? Yeah, I had to make a lot of test cases and uh, kind of write out end-of-week reports about like how certain features are doing and, you know, um, uh, what what could be done, I guess, to mitigate some of the problems that we were seeing, like which bugs were kept coming back and why, yeah. why we thought they were. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I took away from QA was the mindset of a tester. Um, I still have that to this day. Every time I implement something, I have like, okay, I got to make sure I regress these at least five things because if those five things don't work, then my implementation is just not going to, you know, it's not going to fly. And so I, Every, almost every time I add a significant part of uh, of, a, of a like a significant amount of code to my change list, I regress, and it's like this this 
lingering thing in QA inside me that's like, hey, you need to make sure this still works or that still works, like, because that touched that kind of code. You know, this system might be broken. Go check it. And it's like, it's it's always there. That's really good because that's one of those things that because you're working with coders now, a lot of people don't keep their code clean. <laughs> but it's good that you have that reinforcement from job experience to to self-critique and yeah. self-evaluate what you're doing to make sure it's clean, not just for your own process, but for everyone has might have to use it or look at it later. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And you went from there to technical designer, associate <laughs> technical designer, associate content designer. So <laughs> that's a lot in two years. So yeah. what was going on there? Like, so when you when you got into it, which one was the first one? It was associate it, yeah. content designer. Yep. And then it, it works its way backwards. Yeah. So what does associate content content designer do? Um, so they are, well, at Red5, they were responsible for creating events and um, just basically any open world content in the game at the time. Um, if you remember, uh, when I and got And that's hired, where we met, too. This is yeah. where we worked together. So go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so when I got hired, there was one type of content in the entire game, which was right. um, uh, the Ares missions, Yeah. which was go to a place, and there was, like, three different mission types, like collect the stuff, kill the things, or, you know, uh, uh, grab the thing and take it to the front or something like that. Um, and that was the whole, that was the entirety of the game, um, and... We came in, me and two other guys came in at the same time, um, and they were like, hey, you guys need to make stuff for people to do. And that's basically what our job was. Like, hey, make fun encounters and, and activities for players to do in the open world. Um, and my first couple things were very small, but it was because we needed to learn the the trade, right? We needed to learn all the tools that Red5 used. And, and we were using proprietary tools yeah. as well. Like we weren't using <laughs> Unreal or anything, but so no, nothing, that made it a little bit more difficult. Nothing that I had done before really uh, prepared me for that, um, <laughs> other than like basic fundamental, um, you know, practices. Um, but that's when I really learned how to use Lua and how powerful the scripting uh, of, of designers could be. Yeah, I think the whole our whole engine base was based on Lua, right? Yeah, so our engine was in C++ and our scripting layer was all Lua and a proprietary data model <laughs> that we had a whole editor for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I... <laughs> Uh, you laugh, but I actually still find that editor to be very strong. Well, the editors were good. The design editor and the art tool, those are pretty good because you, it's like a one-stop shop for getting an asset in the game, tagging the asset with an ID, and then you can follow that all the way along doing all the type of, um, not scripting, because when I was in there, it wasn't really scripting when I was using it. It was just setting up events, setting up things like customizable things for... Um, uh, making the character look different, hats and so mm. on. That was, yeah, yeah. It was really easy to use. So my laughter was <laughs> from using Unreal now. Oh, right, <laughs> like, right, right. Like <laughs> all the things you could do. So yeah. that's a little different. It, it, t that's fair. That's fair. Um, you also lived in the art side of the things. I never really yeah. looked too much at the art tools. Uh, I was okay. more in the design side of the tools, um, like spawn tables and loot tables. And uh, the big one was the status effect editor, which mm -hmm. was... Uh, a scripting language in of itself in of in of it itself it was amazing i think to this day i still think hey why the there's all these blueprints and and visual scripting that all these engines have but i i think back to the status effect editor and it had basically everything you could want to make very simple skills like you, if you wanted to make larger scale events and stuff you still needed a lua to script it but the status effects could get you like 80% of the way in terms mm. of skills and like particle spawnings. And, and you can also spawn characters and do stuff like that as well. Mm -hmm. Like as long as the IDs were there, 
from when it was created, you can be like, hey, when I cast this, spawn this and make it this and have all your variations and everything. Right, too. right. Yeah. And it, it was cool because status effects could apply other status effects. Yeah. So you could have this crazy chain of things uh, happening. Yeah. The only problem is, is like debugging that is kind of difficult. And so uh, you kind of had to have everything in your head and, and write it out and make sure like, hey, what 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 you expect to happen actually happens in game. We had some debugging where like you could point to a thing and say what status effects are on it but that's basically it yeah so it was it was it was a challenge but it was fun it was it was a lot of fun it especially of fun. using Lollard lua uh, that was cool that's pretty cool so then you moved over to be an associate technical designer so what is the difference between those two roles like what is the the major takeaway from what one does than the other um i think the biggest difference was uh the focus that i had um or i guess the uh, the magnitude of things that I had to kind of implement. So like more responsibility or magnitude, meaning uh, it's far greater important to the functionality of what you're making now. Like uh, it's more of the latter. Um, okay. So as a content designer, I was responsible for just making individual pieces. Right. And once that that piece was done, it was basically lived in its own little, you know, scripting bubble. Um, but, Somewhere between being a content designer and becoming the technical designer, uh, my team of like four people were responsible for making all the quests in the game, uh, right? Um, those uh, those missions that we made, we made the job board, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. That was me and like three other people. <laughs> like actually making the functionality of the job board and then putting the jobs on the job board. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, a, a lot of the logic between how a player uh, picks up a job and how they get directed to certain positions in the world was handled by a gameplay engineer, Rob Kennedy, which was mm -hmm. our like lead programmer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but other than that, like creating the the data structures for the the missions, the mission types, the logic that happens within each little scripted mission, associating like VO and and like rewards, everything like that was all us. Um, and specifically, I, I kind of took helm of the group a little bit, and I made the the core aspects of it that kind of glued everything together. Um, and uh, I think that's the transition that I made. It was like I started with small content pieces that lived on their own, and then I had to kind of make this system of code that would run not just one or two or ten, but five, six hundred missions at once. And so you you have this script that you know, um, on its own doesn't seem crazy, but it, it's responsible for running all of this content. And so if one small thing is broken there, then it breaks the entirety of the quests. And so that that's the magnitude that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? Like. Um, the, the severity of the code kind of increases. Um, and, and at that point, they're like, hey, you, you can't just be as willy-nilly here as you can with the like little little Like pocket. being more creative with the content stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that well adding the creativity to the content is was a whole other layer, which uh. I had to also kind of facilitate with the scripts. But I, I'm talking more about like, if I made the little content piece uh, that stood, stood alone and it kind of broke, then, uh, well, okay, maybe we can just not use that for until we fix it, right? But I can't do that with everything, all the quests in the game. If we remove all the quests in the game, there's no quests. And so it's a little, a little more mission critical um, code there that at that point, I think they were like, okay, you need to start focusing on uh, the more systematic content than, than these little pieces. 
so they kind of like bumped me to technical designer. Um, you mentioned um, that you worked as a team, and the other ones, the other positions after or before this that we had talked about, you were working with a group of people, but it wasn't so much a team. It didn't sound like so. You mentioned a team here, so. How does that team aspect work with uh, what you do or what you did at that time? Did you guys have to work together on an issue or did everyone have a piece of the puzzle and then you worked to to get it to work together and then you could roll it out to the team or roll it out to where it can be in the client? So we, we all had a shared goal, which was making a questing system with 500 quests. That was our directive okay. from okay. from the, the head of the department. Um, but individually, we, we kind of split it up. Um, I took control of like the master scripts that would kind of help everything communicate and track progress and stuff like that. And then um, we each individually took one or two game modes um, mm. to flesh out. Um, and between all of us, we kind of sat down, like what kind of quests, we also sat down with the writers and we're like, what kind of stories do we want to tell? What kind of quests do we want to make? And then from, from those stories, we kind of broke it down and said, okay, to do this right, we're going to need certain modes. And, like, there has to be a mode where you can talk to someone and, like, maybe they turn on you. And then there has to be a mode where you have to go collect certain things and return it to a, a central point or go out and um, kill specific monsters that drop specific loot, right? We were, like, trying to find the tropes, and we ended up with, like, five, I believe, of, and there was four of us, so... Um, I think initially we all took one, and then um, Alex, he, I think he started doing like two more, and eventually we just made a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the cool part about the thing that I was doing was I, I built the systems to basically allow any kind of content or, or quest mode to be injected into it. And so while we started with five or six, like we ended up with eight or nine at the end mm. because um, you know I had built it so that we can just plug in a new piece and you know, we can start using it in the That's system. Awesome. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. And then from there, you went to technical designer. So the difference between an associate and a technical, what what is the difference there? Is it just more responsibility? Yeah, I think okay. it was just more seniority, more responsibility. Okay. Like at first they were like, yeah, here's just the questing system. But then they threw me like, hey, now you are responsible for all the PvP game modes uh, okay, and okay. Um, like the PvP open world. And I'm like, okay. Um, as well as like, hey, make the infrastructure for the dungeons and um, at one point, they were like, hey, you should start making the infrastructure for the raids before uh, yeah. things started kind of crumbling down. Was that was the infrastructure part what you enjoyed doing? Or did they just notice like, hey, he's really good at doing this. Let's <laughs> just have him do this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was the latter. I mean, I, I did enjoy it. But at the same time, I was, I was there to make content and right. make fun things. And yeah. so a lot of the times I felt like I, a lot of my time was devoted to the infrastructure and yeah. not too much on the creative, like I want to make this cool set piece. Um, yeah. I, to do that, I had to basically work twice as hard to, to get it out. Right, like, you had to use your own time to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was hard to manage it while, yeah. while others were just like focused on the leaf nodes of like, hey, let's make the, the fun pieces. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was a challenge for me. Like um, I, because I was, probably the most technical of the designers there like I kind of had to like rise to the occasion and I, I was happy to do it but it, it did kind of hamper my my ability to just make other cool like one-off yeah. things yeah that wasn't your passion it was that didn't bring you that much joy yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense that's important um that's what I find myself like always looking to and dealing with that's th doing this brings me joy uh, <laughs> so like and then I do I do also like little side projects as well but the joy at work I try to make sure like 
that's all devoted into what our tasks are based on what our milestones are. Right. And then, you know, sometimes there's times where like, oh, a milestone is done, but there, you know, we're, we are, I, what can I, I don't know. I can't say much either. With what I do, but <laughs> we're at a point where like, you know, we're still getting things approved. So it makes it where it's like, you know, sometimes there's like this downtime and you can do like a little R and D and stuff like that. And then you do have fun moments cause you're making your own tasks. You're making your own content, but you know, it's important to make sure like that joy is always there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very important. Um, so you went from there back to Amazon. So was this a, was this a connect where you were like, um, Hey, I've been here before. Hey, you guys want to hire me back? Or like, you know, I have more skills now. Like how did this transpire going? So but I also see software test engineer, right. let's say what it is. And then at Amazon game studio. So they started their game studio now. Yeah. So you went there and what was that experience like? Um, it was a mixed bag, I think. Um, so, um, I, I left Red 5 because we had the huge layoffs, right? And yes, there was a lot of down, <laughs> downward spiral things that happened there at yeah. that studio. <laughs> um, and so I wasn't really prepared uh, at the time. Like, it was kind of, like, sudden. Like, I was very focused on creating the the big raid that I was I was in, in task with. And I was, I was really pumped about that because I was finally like, oh, I can finally make new content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, you know, the layoffs happened, I was, I was kind of, you know, awestruck. I was like, oh, what, what do I do now? And this was the first time, was this the first time you experienced a layoff? Yeah, that was my first layoff. I mean, Red 5 was my first tech, like, real, like, full-fledged, full-fledged job, job, job at gotcha, the game gotcha, industry. Gotcha. I'm like, I was QA at Obsidian, but that was, like, three months, and, you know, it was basically part-time. Um, and so this was kind of rough for me. I was like, okay, I don't I don't know what to do. So I started doing the same thing. I shotgunned everything. Like, hey, I have two years and two and a half years of experience doing this stuff now. And I had like a small reel. So it was a lot easier. I was getting more more hits. So you didn't change how you approached? Uh, not it really. Was just like, I, it was just like, boom, yeah, I, need like job. I need another <laughs> one. Like, come on. I mean, I, I was right out of school. I okay. still had all that student debt. You know, it, yeah, it yeah. hurts. Um, so... Uh, the Amazon Game Studio thing, um, it was it was weird how I got it. Like uh, it wasn't a connect or anything because, like you said, this is this was a studio that had already existed, and Amazon just bought them up, mm. um, and they bought up two studios actually here in the area, and they combined them. Like, hey, now you know, be friends. Is <laughs> that like? Was it Double Helix? Double Helix and Reflective Games. Okay. Reflexive, Reflexive. Uh-huh. Um, like Reflexive was a mobile studio that also had some. I think they were responsible for a lot of the Fire TV apps and stuff mm, like that, okay. like their internal studio that I was talking about earlier. Were they still using your tool? Uh, <laughs> you no, don't, you no. don't know? Okay. No, no. So this was a whole other oh, okay, section, okay. right? Because they bought out other other studios gotcha. and they put them under their umbrella. Um, and so it was almost holistically different. They were like in a whole different building and the culture was a lot different. Like in, in Amazon uh, App Store, it was very kind of businessy. You go in, like everybody- Did you have to dress up? Uh, like a button-up shirt, a, a nicer like shirt, oh, right? Okay. Like, yeah. but in the studio, like you know, it's like sandals and shorts, and people are just like chilling. You know, it's it was a different culture. It's definitely into the gaming culture. Um, and so there, um, I didn't know anybody other than like the I got referred to by my old manager. He was like, "Yeah, like I'll, I'll write you a recommendation," but I honestly didn't hear anything about that in my interviews. Mm. It was mostly like a recruiter was like, "Hey, they're looking for people to you know t- ha- write a test framework." And I'm like, "I've seen you've done QA and some tech stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, that kind of could could fit." Um, and at the time, I was like just kind of really desperate for a job, and I was like, "Okay, well, this is a decent fit, so I'm you know I'm not gonna say no to this." Went to the interview and it was just 
really quick. It was like, here's three programming questions. And I just kind of like did the whiteboarding stuff that they usually do. And they're like, yeah, we're happy with this. Well, uh, we'll send you an offer later. I'm like, oh, okay. That's cool. um, so it was really quick, but, uh, let's talk about that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I think our process for interviewing is different <laughs> when it comes to like the technical side and more art side. So what's the whiteboard thing? I, I do know that some people give you tests on the spot and just go, Hey, do it. Like figure this out right yeah. in front of everybody. So what is that like? Uh, it's daunting, honestly, sometimes. Um, I think over the course of my career, I've gotten more used to it. But especially at the start, it was very scary because it's, it's, it could be any question that they can think of, right? And it's usually an algorithm problem or, or something like a, it, like you need to know the trick or, or really find out the best way to do something. And typically those, those questions um, have a lot of answers and they range from being very poor implementations to like the very best implementation um, and as long as you can give one they kind of like push you towards the best one right so if you have one way of solving it you kind of just start there and then they kind of like hey what if you did this and then you kind of try to have to find the best one and if they're happy with the solution you end up with. I think that's when, like, okay, he passes or not. But what are you writing? Is it is it mostly like math type stuff that you're doing and trying to figure out uh, x plus y equals <laughs> stuff like that, or is it or is it way more complex? Where you're doing like the cosine, the sin, and all that stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what. If you can elaborate on that, yeah, that'd be awesome to know. Sure. Yeah. A lot of the time, it's not math related. Although okay. I have been asked like uh, 3D math questions, like you know. How how do you get the direction between two points, which is something like everybody, every game programmer should know. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, it's algorithm problems. Like, given a set of numbers, uh, find. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I just took one earlier. <laughs> um, given a set of numbers, find the two numbers which uh, have the biggest difference, or something, right? Like, and and you have to. F kind of write out the code that would do that ah, um, on the whiteboard, okay, right? So okay. it's, it's, it's kind of like pseudocode, but at the same time, they're also looking for like, you know, which, which kind of data structures are you using and, uh, how, you know, how are you structuring your for loops? Are you doing O, o of n squared or o of li or linear kind of thing? And That's so crazy. So you're writing out by hand on a whiteboard yes. what you would normally be typing out. Yeah inside of like your C, your Lua C++ or yeah, whatever program. And it's Python so much program. different because... Yeah, because you have to... I think when you... I think it's different because when you start in the program, you have help yes. and you have and you have like, like syntax and stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? But when you have to write it out, you have to like then go, okay, draw, go down the next line, give a little bit of indentation, yeah. whatever, and then do some more writing like... Is that you have to have that type of structure too? Is that something they look at as well? I mean, with how you write it, syntax is usually something they kind of gloss over. Okay, um, that's kind of important. Of the, a lot of the times, a lot of the times, <laughs> okay. um, and a lot of the time they'll be like, you know, you don't have to use a specific language, so you know, you're you're just you're, show it, show your work, show much. your work, and show that your your oh logic God. works, not yeah. that like your code is a hundred percent right. right? Yeah. they just want to know like the process that you're thinking of. And a lot of the times it is just like, how does your brain function? Do you ask the right questions? Like, uh, it's it's really sketchy because a lot of the times they'll give you a trick question, right? Or like a question that has not enough information to get the right answer all the time. So is that something that's known in your field of like, oh, yes. this is a joke? <laughs> like, if you know it's a joke, do you still show your work or do you go... I got you guys. This is a joke. You guys yeah, are so, playing me. And then they go, he knows his stuff, <laughs> you know? It's like that. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of the times, it's 
I mean, I don't know if people follow this rule, but I, I do. It's one of those things where if I ever go in an interview and I've seen the problem before, I say, okay, hey, guys, like, I know this problem. I can write it out for you and explain it to you, but do you want to give me another one? Yeah. Because a lot of the times, they're not looking for the answer, right? They're more looking for how did you get to Your the process, answer. Yeah. And if I can just, like, write it out and then be like, boom, here it is, they're like, well, they didn't learn anything about me, right? They, they learned that, yeah, he, he might, knew the answer, he knew the answer thing, but yeah. does that matter? Like, mm. ultimately... Like I'm going to in the day job, you get, you know, presented with challenges that you just can never really be 100 percent prepared for. So they need to know that you can adapt and figure it out uh, on the spot. So here's here's a question, because I find that very interesting, because you have to know exactly what you're doing going into a situation like that where you have to just write out something. You don't you can't like open up a a Chrome tab and be like, (laughs) okay, let me press Q. Oh, great. Look at all these Q things that pop up, you know, um. I want to talk about that a little bit more. Sure. So what is what should a person, like you said, it could be any question. Like, how does a person prepare for that mentally? Like, I understand, you know, going in for the interview and making sure, like, you're humble, likable, you know how to communicate with people. How do you prepare for knowing that you're going to get put in a room and a whiteboard is there with a marker and they're <laughs> like, you know, one guy could be feeling good one day and one guy could have a bad attitude and he could just give you something that's unobtainable for you to even – do but i guess they're looking at your process but how do you prepare yourself for some of the things that you could get asked Mm -hmm. in that aspect so uh i personally use uh websites that really help like because since it's such a known thing like there's a lot of websites that cater to this this kind of whiteboard to being asked those questions yeah so like also, after you answer, let's talk about how you know where do you go to find that. You know, so I go to Hacker Rank, which is uh, one of the I would say better ones, because they have like a forum where you can like talk about the answers, and you can only see the answers if you submit your answer, stuff like that. Mm. So it's really cool to like gauge your your level, and they have like tests that you can take that are like awesome. take this pre-interview test or whatever. Um, so yeah, they have a lot of problems that you would normally see in, in interviews like that. Um, and they all have like sections, like this one's on string manipulation or this one's on arrays and this is on hash maps or like just to kind of test certain parts of the things. Um, and so a lot of the times when I was going into interviews, I would just be on hacker rank for like that week and just like just doing as many of the problems that I can and like figuring out like, oh, where are my skill gaps? And um Whenever I, I know, like, okay, I don't know that much about this type of data structure or how I would solve this these weird problems, I would kind of try to find more of the same type and, you know, just practice. So, but that was all, like, you know, you're typing in, like, text-driven, though, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't there a different thing that clicks in your mind when you're, like, you have to write it out now? <laughs> like It's scarier, for sure. Um, it, eventually, you kind of get that mini compiler in your head that kind of, like, says, okay, you know, you're... you're you already know, like, even though in, in the text editor I can write four and tab tab and just writes out the loop for me, that's just speed, mm. right? Like, I, I know that I need to do that thing already, right? Like, it's, okay. and a lot of the times I'll, I'll be writing the whole thing and at the same time I'll be thinking. So there's a lot of, like, dead time when I'm writing and then also thinking. So it kind of looks like I'm, like, really fast, but it's just because, like, I'm processing the entire time. Gotcha. That's crazy. You know, here's a, a million dollar suggestion for you then. All right. With where tablets and phones and screens are, you could make that same thing, but make it where you have to like draw it with your finger. Because I think that'll really be helpful. It's It sounds like, I know it is another quote unquote language, but it sounds like another language that you're trying to learn. Like, especially if you have to write it out by hand. 
Yeah, I mean, usually like you, you emulate the, your most favorite language, but yeah. a lot of the times people will even just do pseudo pseudocode. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that some people on my team specifically, when they applied and went through the process, they had their own pseudocode, like yeah. their own pseudo language, like that people could understand, but wasn't time consuming, wasn't yeah. like filled with, you know, semicolons and stuff. It was just like almost English leg legible kind of thing. But that's crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. Yeah, so. <sighs> Oh yeah, we were talking about Amazon. Yeah, we were talking about Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I joined their studio when they were doing Breakaway. If you ah, heard okay, about yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's canceled, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was decent. I thought I could have, you know, been released and be moderately successful. Yeah. But it was I think a different type of game. It was a uh, like Smite meets Rocket League, and it That's was different. it was really different. It was yeah. like nothing out there like it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was cool enough to like give it a chance, but I guess it wasn't big enough like it wasn't attracting enough attention i think for amazon mm. and they ended up saying well if what was it's coming out at the time <sighs> what was 2016 coming out? yeah mm. i mean smite was big uh, well bigger than it is now i think uh i think over was really overwatch oh, around that overwatch time? just drop i think so around i think there, it was that uh, it was around that time where like people were really into these team-based shooters because um, yeah, Breakaway was getting traction, but I think when Overwatch came out, I think people just were just like, oh, what is this? <laughs> you know, because that was different. Yeah. I mean, it was a take on something else, but it was still it was different looking. That's what it was. That's crazy. All right. Well, on to Brighter Pastures. You <laughs> right. went to ArenaNets. Yep. And you started as a technical designer, mm -hmm. a place you were more comfortable. You've been before. Um what was that like? What did you What did you get to work on at ArenaNet as a technical designer? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> why is that funny? It, it's It's funny because I don't I don't know, man. Like I don't think I'm allowed to. Oh, just, you can't talk. Oh, right. oh, it's something unreleased. Okay, okay yeah, okay, they're okay. All, all everything oh, okay. I worked at ArenaNet was unreleased. Oh, so it wasn't like Guild Wars two or nothing like that. It or? wasn't Guild Wars two. I I, oh. I was hired on as inside some incubation team yeah um and amazon gotcha. uh, amazon ArenaNet was trying to expand from being a one game studio okay to being a multiple game studio and uh, um, even that might be too much to, to say <laughs> maybe uh they, they they have announced that the you know they oh, okay. canceled all okay. our our projects and that's why we had layoffs there um, well let's just let's talk about this you're a technical designer there yeah and you have been a technical designer was the jobs any differently based on the studios? Uh, were the teams larger? Was the team uh, makeup of how tasks were delegated different? Like, what's what is the difference from being a technical designer at one place than another? I guess is what we can talk about. Yeah, this. and that that's an interesting point because technical designer is a semi new field, I guess, like new classification, and a lot of studios don't really know what it means. Like, every studio has its own interpretation of what a technical designer is. At Red 5, it was basically anybody who could script to a level that they could make system content instead of just normal content. At uh, ArenaNet, I think they were looking for someone who um, was very similar in that aspect, but at the same time um, was more of a tools facilitator. Um, so ArenaNet was trying to make some homebrewed uh, set of tools. Mm -hmm. And as technical designer, I was kind of like the guinea pig of like, hey, they're making this new, um, you know, anim graph pipeline, or they're they're making some new prefab kind of looking things. Like, you need to start using it to to give feedback and and um, you know s start seeing where the faults were, or where where we could, we could go with the technology. Um, and so, a lot of the time, I wasn't making content uh, initially. I was like, 
I kind of was, but it was in service of bettering the tool, of, of being that first user to use this tool. Because eventually the plan was to roll it out to other designers who weren't as technical, and I would have to write a bridge essentially of scripts and and components and and, and prefabs to say, hey, here's here's a bunch of puzzle piece prefabs now, and, and here's a puzzle script. You should be able to make your own individual puzzles now without coding. And that was the, that was the goal, that was the dream. Um, and uh, it was working out, honestly, I think. It's just we needed more time and mm. they didn't have that time or funding. Um, so it looks like from there you went from technical designer to gameplay programmer. Yeah. So what, how was that different? Is, was it a, a big jump? Or was it, you know, you could use the skills that you already had and kind of go It was it. very lateral. Um, like I said, a lot of studios don't know how to classify technical designers. ArenaNet is one of those studios. We had three technical designers out of four, like 400 people or something. Oh, wow, that's So, like, it's not enough to be a department. And it was trying to be a department, and it, it wasn't really, I think it wasn't working out. Um, especially since each technical designer was essentially on a different team. Right. So it's not like like my immediate lead wasn't aware about the things that I was working on or stuff like that. So it was very tough to communicate about, you know, like project needs and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still could. It was just yeah, it was it was a barrier, right? Yeah. Um, and so um, I was doing a lot of the essentially systems design on, on a project in, in an incubation project. And I was writing like skill systems and using them to make skills and then making like little encounters with, with enemies that were using those skills and stuff like that. Um, and eventually it was just like, I, I stopped using the tool as much and I started doing more of the scripting and a lot of the like, um, so we, we had a goal to make all, all the engineering and script so that we could modify it on the fly. Mm. Um, and because of that goal, I ended up just like gravitating more and more towards the scripting side. And eventually I hit a critical mass where like, I was writing the combat system and um, well, I was help writing, I was helping writing the combat system. Mm -hmm. And the, the lead engineer on the team was just like, hey, like we're seeing that you're doing all this code. Like, do you just want to be a gameplay programmer? And I'm like, well, um, sure, because like- Sure, I'm, I'm you should be like, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a really, it was a t tilting point, right? Because yeah. I didn't know, because like, uh, okay. it was tough because I, I still wanted to make content. I still wanted to be the guy to like, make the cool boss that mm -hmm. like designed out what he did and, and how he would function as an encounter. But at the time we didn't, we didn't, we weren't there yet. We, we, we didn't have the tools or the, um, you know, the infrastructure to do that yet. And so I saw it as a way to like, Hey, get, get my, get my ideas in on the ground floor of the infrastructure. And then once the team like is comfortable and ramps up, maybe I can start, you know, help del helping with the content itself later. Um, you know that that unfortunately didn't pan out, but it that was a good method of thought, though. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is different. Like the the tool sets we're creating is is not the same as before, and I think getting into the scripting layer early was important for me to kind of just like bake it in myself, like I did at Red Five, because you know what you you know what is important to have yeah. so it can be successful. So right, that, that's right. Good. So like as a, I would bring in design knowledge of like these are the things designers will want and the the levers that they're going to want to move around. And I'm just going to make sure that the scripts have that. And that was kind of my transition. I, I would say I was still more of like a junior compared to like everybody else there. Like there's so many smart people there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they, they were just like, yeah, I'm like, well, you seem competent enough. Like you'll, you're learning great. And so just we'll, we'll take you under our wing because the technical design group was so spread out. And like I felt almost directionless at times. And so they were like, yeah, we can we can provide that 
you know their structure for you and stuff so i was like yeah let's let's do it let's 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 learn more about this that's pretty cool man I, and on the job learning so yeah that's awesome i learned a lot of 3d math uh, at yeah. Internet, <laughs> which was really fun that's pretty cool and then we're back where we started. Uh, so from ArenaNet, uh, you went right to Blizzard. Yep. Um, were there any downtime in between this, or you went right into it? it looks like Mar you had. No, like there a was few some months. downtime. Yeah. So that that downtime. So let's talk about that because you you actually brought up brought up layoffs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you experienced it for the second time. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind the second time? Did it not hit you as hard as the first time, or were you like, okay, this is just what happens? Like, what was what were you thinking about? when it happened the second time and then how did you bounce back to hmm. go to where you are now so the second time it happened i wasn't as affected um the first one i was kind of like really strapped you know i was like hey i need a job i really need some income but uh arena net was they handle it pretty gracefully like I, they got a lot of bad press about the layoffs but being a part of them, I, I felt like they did it the best they could, considering the circumstances. They gave us like pretty good um, severance packages, so like I I could live off for like three months, like basically, like they basically gave me three months salary to just like hey go find a job. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was like awesome, dude. Like and rare. Yeah, I'm super <laughs> rare, right? So I was I was ecstatic about that. I was like I could take my time. I didn't have to shotgun everything, which you know like I I was more focused about like what I wanted to do next. Um, and that really gave me time to prepare, right? Like the first month I didn't even apply anywhere. I was just like, I'm going to try to relax. I'm going to like, make sure I don't freak out, you know, get my ducks in a row, start hacker rank, you know, stuff like that. And I actually just started like a side project just for fun. Like, Hey, make sure I still know how to use these other tools because I've been using arena nets proprietary tools for two years. And so like, once I kind of like had two weeks of that, I was like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ready. I'm starting. And I warmed up to, to the next step. Um, and so that was good. Like I, the difference was night and day that I didn't have to shotgun to the next thing and like take an Amazon Game Studios test job or something, right? Like that shows was, a lot of growth, man, because yeah. it shows that you can now choose your path, right? As opposed to just like taking these random shots of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, and so I, I felt like I was more in charge, um, and I found like I was throughout this whole time I was looking for jobs, right? And I was just kind of picking which ones I wanted. And I ended up applying to like six, seven places, <laughs> six places where I ended up getting like four offers and I ended up canceling one final interview because I was like, I'm going to take the Blizzard one. Um, and so it was it was way different this time around. It was like when I got laid off from Red 5, I, I sent out like 30 applications and I got like, you know, you saturated the market. Yeah. And I got like one mm -hmm. offer. Right. But this one I like I sent out six and I got four. and I was just like, OK, that's pretty good. Um, and so it was a lot easier this time around, and and I felt good about that. It was it wasn't like I was struggling. So here's the question, because a lot of people I've talked to, it's um, quite a process to get into Blizzard. So when you apply for there, were the tests similar to actually, uh, I guess to when you're on site for the interview and then taking the test on the whiteboard? Did you still have to go through those same cycles? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of the studios had almost identical processes, uh, right? Okay. So um, it starts with a phone call with the like recruiter, hiring manager, and they were just like making sure you, you can speak <laughs> essentially, right, right. and like hello, in, you're hello. not lying about who you are <laughs> right. and, and where you've been. Um, and then they kind of throw you into uh, a, a conversation with um, the lead of the team or the hiring manager of the team specifically. 
Um, and in Blizzard's case, that's what happened. I, I talked to Derek, which is now my engineering manager. Nice. Um, and he was just kind of asking me kind of rough questions and uh, about my experience and stuff like that, making sure that I could maybe be a overall cultural fit at the time. Mm, okay. And once he was happy with that, they move you forward um, to a take-home test. And across the board, all of the places that I've applied to, whether it be design or programming, um, they have this take-home test. Whether uh, for Blizzard, um, it was a set of questions like, it was like three whiteboarding questions, which you would normally find in a in a whiteboarding interview, mm-hmm. um, and then a larger, more um, gamified kind of question that was like, "Here's a here's a schematic of what design wants. Try to implement it, and here are the requirements. Make sure that it works." But you could take that home and do it. I mean, yeah, like, so doesn't that defeat the purpose <laughs> of? Well, kind of, but not really, right? They give you this test that um, is confidential. You're not allowed to share it, and like you just can't find them online because they they change ah, it every so okay. often, right? Okay. And so. Even if someone were to share it like that, you probably wouldn't go far. Um, and they say, hey, you have until the end of the week. They give it to me like on on, on Friday. It's like, give it to us by the end of next Friday or something. Um, but, you know, in my in my head, I'm like thinking the sooner you can do this, you know, the, the more weight it carries. Because you can say like, oh, yeah, I spent like X amount of hours like, like you said I should. Or like they say, maybe you should spend eight hours total on this. But like if you take the whole week, you could have maybe spent, you know, 40 hours. You right. Know? So, like, the quality of it is very um, different depending on that. So, I I got the test on Friday, and I was interviewing that Friday, and I came back, like, Saturday night, and I I did it Sunday morning, Sunday till Sunday night, and I turned it in Monday morning, and then they were... So, you just took, like, two days to do the whole thing? You're like, I want this job. (laughs) Well, at the time, I was, uh, like, it was really weird. Like, I I, I should have planned my interviewing a lot better. But, Mm. like, when I sent out my applications, I basically sent them out at the same time. And so Uh, I was getting tests all in at the same time. And so, like, I was doing a test for, like, Rocket League. I was doing a test for the Blizzard. I was doing a test for Volition and for Zenimax. I was just, like, I was was getting overloaded. Those are all good choices, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was getting overloaded. But, like, you know, so Blizzard's one, I was, like, I know how I can do this real quick. I didn't see Sharp. I turned it in. And then, like, a day or two later, I got a call. I'm, like, yeah, we we like the the engineers like the test. They're reviewing it now. Like, we need to set up uh, another phone call to kind of talk about the test and like more questions. Okay, so they give it to you to take home, yeah. but it's the phone call instead of like an on-site where they will really drill you about how did you come about the answer? Yeah, yeah. How did you? Okay, that makes sense. Because so I was starting to think like <laughs> it wasn't just like pass fail and then yeah, yeah, you yeah. win. Or oh, whatever, okay, right? okay. No, it was like okay, like let's talk about it. How? Why did you use this kind of thing or whatever? Uh-huh. And uh, after that call, it's it was with a senior engineer who's also on my team now, which is cool, and Derek, which is my uh, manager. Um, mm-hmm. They talked to me about it, and they were like, "Okay, we're satisfied with your explanations. Like, um, let's get you in uh, on site." And that's the final one, right? And all the on sites I had were very similar. It was like nine to four or nine to five, like whole day. But you didn't have to do any more tests, right? Oh, or no. did you have to? You still do it. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. It's like nine to five, and uh, they break it up into like hour sessions. And each hour, you're like meeting two or three people at the same time, and they all have their own sets of questions. Blizzard's case, um, I had three sets of interviewers where I had to like actually answer whiteboarding questions and like, you know, you know more technical and design kind of side of questions and then there was a there was a set of people who are just like culture fits like i would talk to producers about how would you do things how would you how do you work with producers or how do you work with qa or you know like how how do you resolve a conflict with design or stuff like that and so it's a lot of mixture of soft skills and hard skills Mm -hmm. in in the final one 
Wow, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. It almost makes me think about like because you have to be standing up and doing the whiteboard stuff. Like, could you imagine in the future if you like have to walk into like a small auditorium and you're on stage? Oh no! And they just have like half the studio there. Like, uh, yes, I have a question about how would you do? <laughs> I mean, it kind crazy. of feels like that, right? It's not like that's half what the it studio, seems like. But it's like two or three people who are gonna be your peers or yeah. like your, you know, your seniors or something. And it's just like you have to basically make sure that you know you're good enough to to roll with these people yeah which is scary you know you don't you just don't know all the time yeah. yeah that's pretty cool man so we have already gone through your whole history yeah now in retrospect what would be some of the things that you would want to leave with uh informing a student or an enthusiast or someone who's looking to change careers that aren't unsure, that are probably unsure about what they want to do with their career path like what are some of the things that you want to leave them with to to show them like um you know, you going all the way from QA to um, more of the gameplay engineer stuff to gameplay programmer to software engineer now. Like, what are some of the things you want to leave people with to know, like, hey, you know, if you just follow, you know, your passion or your joy, you can it can lead you to where you want to be. Like, so what what would you think um, would be good for people to know? Sure. Uh, it's interesting you say passion, because if, if you don't have that for games, it's going to be tough because it's it's hard. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's. A lot of effort and a lot of work um, and uh, it's kind of a cutthroat environment where like you need to you know you really need to put in the time um, so if you don't have the passion it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough but you know that being said usually people do when they're like hey I want to be in the games then they usually have a passion for games which is good um, the second one is uh, just kind of practice man like, I know I, I don't know how many times I've mentioned this but like just go out and do it, right? Like Unity's out there, Unreal's out there. There's a lot of tools. Just go out and do something. And then the next time you do it, um, do something a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and maybe learn a new system. Maybe like your first game doesn't have any particles, but maybe the next one you add them or, or maybe you just make one long project where you kind of focus on things individually. But uh, the biggest takeaway is just, just start making stuff. Um, especially now with these tools, it's a lot easier. Um, uh, if you're applying to be like a designer or or an engineer and you don't have like a, a website that has like your projects that you've done, then like I, I wouldn't take learn it how to do websites. Yeah. Or something, right? <laughs> well, even that, like you don't have to learn the websites. Like I I was making my own website at, at one point in time, but I was just like I don't want to do this anymore. So I just use a Google site to like mm. track everything. And it's just it's just like a reference point of like here here's a video of this game that I've made and this is what I did in the game. You can download it here, stuff like that. And just having a reel, essentially. Like, are you, you're an animator. You know the importance of reels. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I'm surprised you guys have reels. I thought it would be more like, hey, I worked on this game. And then you just say, this is what I did on this game. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't know you guys had reels as well. I don't have a reel, like, that mashes everything in one video. It's it's a catalog, right? And it's oh, like... Okay. So only if you I had, can... like, video editing as, like, one of your things. Yeah, you'd be like, maybe. I can make a reel. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Like, I could probably make a mashup of it. But it's Have like... the codes scrolling up in the background, like, an opacity layer, like... Oh, yeah. that, that's, that's that'd be slick, dude. <laughs> that's tough though, because like I can't, I can't like show code that I've done. Like I can never uh, show code okay, from the, the Hearthstone, right? Because gotcha. it's not my code; it's technically Blizzard's code. Gotcha. Like if you do, if I do side projects, I can, but oh, okay. um, it's it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I th I think that would be hilarious if yeah. you got that. Real. <laughs> well, cool, man. This was really cool. I want to say thank you for sharing everything that you have with us about your career path and where you are now. And I hope you guys learned something new. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Thanks.